Uh, it is Father's Day, and uh, along with Jake, I want to welcome all of you, fathers included, whether you're part of Tri-City Church or, or guests, and really this is a day to uh, honor those uh, within our church who are uh, the men of our church. That's how we see this, that on Father's Day, we recognize all that God is doing through the men of our church, uh, both in families and in our church family, and so uh, I want to take a moment to pray for, uh, for the men of this church uh, the way we did it on Mother's Day, I thought was fitting. On Mother's Day, we had the men stand, and we honored all the women of our church and recognized what God is doing in and through them. And so I'd like to do the reverse today. I would like the ladies to stand in honor of the men who are part of our church. And so I would ask the ladies to do that now, please. And I am going to pray uh, on Mother's Day. If there's a, a man in, on Mother's Day, we had the men kind of put a hand on any woman who's a part of their life. You're welcome to do that as well. Again, like I said on Mother's Day, make sure it's a man that you know, and not just someone next to you. We're, we're welcoming, but not that welcoming. So, uh, so if you would, please bow with me in prayer. Uh, we're going to pray and thank God for the men of our church. Lord God, thank you indeed for men. Thank you, God, that you saw fit to create human beings as both male and female, distinct, equal in value, equal in honor, and yet distinct, Lord. You've made us not the same, and that's a good thing for us, Lord. I pray, God, that uh, we would recognize and appreciate the men who are part of our church and part of our community. God, I pray especially for those who have uh, been given the gift of fatherhood, Lord, that they would uh, be sacrificial in their fathering. I pray for those who are husbands, Lord, again, that you would give them the, the gift of servanthood, Lord, that they would see it as their role to give of themselves, Christ, as you've given yourself for us. Lord, I pray for all the men in the areas in which you've given them to have influence, God, would they... Would they do their very best, Lord, by your grace to be a godly influence? I pray, Lord, that as people look at us, at the church, that they would see men who, who lead with, with love and gentleness. Lord, those men who care more about the people around them than themselves. And Lord, we pray that in that, they would know more of what it means to be loved by you, Jesus. And so we, we thank you for the men of our church. God, we pray that we continue to use them for our blessing and for our good. And I pray, God, for each one that you would work in his heart, Lord, that he might grow closer to you, and Lord, that by that we would be more greatly blessed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. A great day uh, to do lots of fun and potentially manly things. And so uh, thanks for being here with us on this day. If you're a guest, you're with us. Uh, as Jake said, we don't do this every week, uh, but uh, every now and again, we will, we will have some competition. You never know. So... Uh, this morning, though, we are actually continuing on in the book of Luke. If you've been with us, we have been in Luke chapters 3 and 4. We're actually very near. Uh, next week will be our last sermon in this series we've called Preparing the Way. It's been looking at the time of preparation for Jesus and just the beginning part of his ministry. And today is actually kind of a sequel uh, to last week. Uh, Jesus is spending some time in the town of Capernaum. Uh, last week, we saw his uh, activities in the morning portion. This is a Sabbath day, and he was uh, preaching in the synagogue. Everyone was amazed at his teaching, and then even more amazed as he cast out a demon from someone who was there, so demonstrating his power. And then, just like here, everyone kind of got hungry, and so they, they go back to someone's house for lunch. That's the afternoon portion we're going to look at in our passage in verses 38 to 40, and you would imagine that as they went back uh, home for lunch, they kind of thought, man, that was, that was an exciting morning. The excitement's done. But in fact, that's not the case. 
we see that the excitement continues into the afternoon and evening. For in the morning, Jesus demonstrates his authority and power over the supernatural world. But in the afternoon in Capernaum, he demonstrates his authority and power over the natural world. So with that in mind, we're going to turn our attention to Luke 4, uh, verses 38 to 40. Not a long passage, but something that is uh, packed with meaning and help for us this morning. So let's turn our attention there, uh, beginning in verse 38. And he rose, this is Jesus, and he rose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. That's God's word to us this morning. A great word. Let me pray, and then we'll get into this. Lord God, thank you indeed for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that we have a very clear picture of who you are. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to better understand who you are through this text. I pray especially, Lord, for those who are here, uh, maybe for the first time or any guests, God, I pray that uh, this would be a very helpful time for them, Lord, that all of us may understand you more and understand ourselves more. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at this text uh, with two points. Uh, First, something is wrong with the natural world. That'll be our first point. And secondly, Jesus came to make things right. That'll take up a bunch of our time, but then we're going to end with sort of some questions and answers with regards to healing, because that's really what this this text is about, an example of miraculous healing. But if you look at uh, verse 38, the first point is this, something is wrong with the natural world. We see it right away in verse 38. Uh, We'll look again here. It's on the screen. And he arose and left the synagogue, entered Simon's house. Uh, Simon, that's Simon Peter, a disciple that we will come to know very well. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. So, Simon's mother-in-law is dealing with something that we deal with all the time, a fever. But not, you know, just a run-of-the-mill fever, a high fever. In the Greek, it's a megalo fever, a mega fever. Uh, it's the kind of fever that uh, we would say, man, you should, you should probably go to the emergency. I consulted some uh, medical experts this week. And by that, I mean WebMD. And what it told me is that a high fever is 103 degrees Fahrenheit or 39.4 degrees Celsius. So when you, when you get that on the thermometer, you say, oh man, we better, we better go to the ER. Okay, that's, that's hot. There's something wrong. It's an it's a indication that there is probably an infection. There's something going on in the body that results in this fever. Now, we don't know exactly uh, what the mother-in-law's temperature was, but there's a very clear, you know, evidence that it was a high fever. And it's simply this. There's a Jewish mother who is laying on her back rather than feeding people food who are in her home. You know what I'm saying? It's after the synagogue. She's made food. Everyone's come. Even the guest speaker has come to her home and she's not up giving them food. This should tell us that something is dreadfully wrong. Right? This is not where this woman wants to be. We know this because once she's healed, right away she gets up and she serves them. That's, that's in her heart. That's in the heart of every Mediterranean woman. They want to feed people, and it's not happening. So something is wrong with the world. Now, out of concern for her, what do the people do? They, they come to Jesus. Now, we don't know if they have heard of any examples of his healing before. It's very early in his ministry, but they saw in the morning 
that he had power, clearly a divine power. And so they naturally go and say, Jesus, is there anything you can do? Simon's mother-in-law, she's, she's really, really sick. We're not sure what's, what's going to happen. Now, before we get to his intervention, I want us to think for a minute about the nature of illness. This fever is a, a common illness. But if I were to ask you, you know, what's your feeling about sickness? You probably would say, well, I'm not a fan. I don't, I don't like it. I don't want to be sick. And I might counter. No, what I mean is, how, how do you explain illness? How do you explain its presence in our world? And you would, you would probably respond with, well, I, I'm not sure what you mean by explain. I mean, sickness and illness, they're just a part of life. They're just a part of the natural world, right? There's certain bacteria that simply do certain things. There's certain viruses that simply do certain things. They make us sick. There's some bacteria that's good for us. It's in our stomach. It helps us to break down food. That's good bacteria. There's other bacteria that will kill us. It's not personal. It's just... It's just what bacteria does, right? So I'm not sure what you mean by how, how to explain it. And I would say, well, yeah, that's, that's true. That's the typical view of illness. That is just part of our natural world. It's, it's part of life. Illness, disease are part of life. Even death, we would say, is part of life. That's the typical view of illness, but it's not the biblical view. The biblical view is not that these things are simply unfortunate, that they're simply a part of life. The biblical view is that they are wrong. There's something wrong with the fact that we get sick and we die. We know this because as Jesus approaches this woman, he doesn't just heal her, he rebukes the fever. He identifies something wrong with the presence of that illness. Look at verse 39. And he stood over her and he rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. That word a rebuke in the Greek means just the same as it means for us. To, to reprove, to correct Anytime anyone is rebuked, it's in response to something they've done wrong, right? So, so students, lazy students, any teachers, you know what you do? You rebuke them, right? Get on it. It's exam time. You've got to be studying. Quit messing around in class. Any parents, when there are children who are dishonest, what do we do? We rebuke them because they've done something wrong. We're identifying a bad behavior. Employers, they rebuke careless employees. Look, you can't do it that way. You're going to break stuff. You're going to wreck things. All rebuke is in response to something that is wrong. We see the parallel uh, earlier on in our text, uh, back in the morning when Jesus encounters the demon. Look, look back with me, verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. The demon was evil. His words and his very presence was wrong. It was damaging and, and harmful. All of these things, lazy students, dishonest children, careless employees, they are all behaving wrongly and they need to be rebuked. And from Jesus' point of view, sickness falls into that same category. That means that all illness, there is something inherently wrong with it from God's point of view. All illness, leukemia, MS, diabetes, lung cancer, congenital heart disease, anything that is evidence of our corrupt human nature, it's wrong. It's not right from God's point of view. They aren't just a part of life. They are a corruption to the life that God intended. And there's a beautiful passage in the book of Romans, Romans 8, which, 
which speaks to this, the fact that creation, the world, the natural world is groaning under a futility. Look here in the the first bit of Romans. We're going to walk through it a bit. Verses 19 and 20. For the creation waits for eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. And by that it means subjected to the futility of sin. There was a corruption that happened. And it happened as a result of, of Adam and Eve. Of their willing fall into sin. In disobeying God and going against what he said is best. There were all sorts of consequences. Not just for Adam and Eve. Not just for us as human beings, but all of the natural world was affected. We've seen the consequence that God said. He said, look, there are going to be thorns now as you try to work the earth. There's a shift that's taken place in every molecule of every biological and all the other logicals things in the world. Geological, I forgot them all. All those things. That's, there was, there's a corruption, a futility that took place. This is key because it means that for us to truly desire healing for the world, we, we should not only be engaged in environmental enterprises. Yes, we should recycle. Yes, we should care for our world. We're supposed to be good stewards. But the, the key issue is a spiritual corruption that's tied into our salvation. That as we find our hope in Jesus, the whole world finds its hope in Jesus, the natural world. Look further in Romans eight nineteen and 20. Uh, Again, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That last phrase to obtain the freedom. That's what we, that's what we need as human beings. We need the freedom of the glory of the children of God, the the redemption of Christ. That's another way of saying to be redeemed in Christ, to find spiritual healing because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us, that brings healing to our hearts spiritually, relationally, but also it is the beginning of a healing that will take over the entire world because it's sin that has corrupted the entire world. Illness, disease, all the plagues of mankind, they are... They are a corruption of what God intended in God's goal. In fact, the ministry of Jesus, the reason he came was to point forward to a future world, a future kingdom where there will not be any disease, any corruption. And it begins with his work on the cross. So the whole point of the ministry of Jesus, what we want to see in in this episode is that there is something wrong with the natural world. And Jesus has come to make things right. So that's the second point. Jesus came to make things right. Let's look back at verse 39. Because I want to think about this word rebuke a little bit more. Uh, He rebuked the fever. That shows that there was something wrong, but it shows something else. Because anytime anyone rebukes someone, they have to be in authority. You can't rebuke someone that you're not in charge of. It doesn't work. Right? All those examples I gave teachers, employers, parents, they're they're all in charge. Kids know intuitively that if you're not in charge of them, you can't tell them what to do because they tell you. If you try to tell them, they say, you're not the boss of me. You don't, which is not, they would like us to believe that all the time. But the truth of the matter is that there are certain conditions where, look, if you're not my boss, you can't really rebuke me for how I'm cutting my lawn. It's, I'm not, I'm not being employed by you. I can do it however I want. 
If you're not in authority, you don't really have, you don't really have the position of power. You don't really have any right to rebuke someone. So what Jesus shows us is that he is in authority, not just of the supernatural world, but of the natural world, because he rebukes the fever, which is, which is mind-boggling, really, because it means that his words affect change in the natural world. He has authority over it. He is commanding something that has no agency, no will, and yet it responds to his command. I mean, this is, this is fascinating. Think about it from our point of view. We also have a way to control fever. We have a mechanism, but it's biological in nature. It's antibiotics, right? That is something that naturally will have an effect on bacteria, which will ease a fever and infection. Now, back in the time of the Simon and his mother-in-law, we didn't have this. So for them, they were, I mean, they had other herbs and poultices, and they had some measure of medical healing, but nothing like we do. For us, there was a man who gave us this ability. You may know his name, Alexander Fleming. Sir Alexander Fleming, a Scot with crazy eyes. Where is he? He's up there. There he is. <laughs> Look at those piercing eyes. That is a man who is serious about his chemistry and his biology. And if you know the story, he was working with some bacteria and he noticed that a bit of mold uh, was, had infected one of the bacteria plates and that there was a halo around that mold where the bacteria wouldn't grow. And he surmised there was something in there he called penicillin that, that inhibited bacterial growth. And so that was in 1928. It took him, with the help of other chemists, about 14 years to develop a more pure form of penicillin. And it was a miracle drug. The first time that it was used in the U.S. was in response to a horrific fire. Uh, this is the picture in the Coconut Grove nightclub. Uh, this was a fire in which 492 people died. The second most deadliest fire in U.S. history. And what happened is they took the victims uh, to two different hospitals. It was in Boston, Massachusetts. Half they took to Boston General Hospital. The other half to Massachusetts General Hospital. But the difference between the two treatments was that Massachusetts General, they had just, like the day before, shipped in this, this batch of liquid uh, penicillin culture. It was the first time they ever had it. And they used it uh, with the skin grafts because skin grafts are notorious for infection. In the Boston General Hospital, sadly, everyone, or 30% of the people perished. But in the Massachusetts General Hospital, everyone survived. There was no infection. I mean, just imagine for a minute what it would be like, especially if you're here and you're a medical practitioner, imagine for the first time using antibiotics and being like, there's no infection. It's, it's like a miracle. You know that that was going through people's minds. This is like a miracle drug. Look what it does. We can now fight bacterial infection, one of the main causes that of, of illness and death and disease. This is fantastic. But the thing is, while it seemed to be a miracle cure, it wasn't a miracle cure. It was a natural cure. It was using biological and chemical means to inhibit bacterial growth. And what I want us to see is that this is not what Jesus is doing. There are natural ways to bring healing, and they are great. But for Jesus, he is doing something entirely different. The mechanism is different. He is not leveraging his knowledge of the natural world to bring about change. He is speaking to it. He commands it as one in authority. And the results are different. For the healing for those burned victims, it took weeks and months. Praise God that they were alive, but there was a lot of recovery. In this case, the fever was gone instantaneously. We see that in all the healings of Jesus. You can't walk, now you can walk. 
Right away you were healed. You couldn't see, now you can see. Right away, it's a healing that is on a totally different level. Because it comes from someone who has authority over the natural world, not someone who is working within it. And so the words of Jesus make very clear that there is something wrong. He rebukes the fever, but also he shows us that in him there is the answer, the way to make things right. It is not a natural healing, but a supernatural healing, one that points forward to an even greater healing. That's, that's the thing I really want us to see this morning. I believe that, that every example of healing in the ministry of Jesus is leading us to see that this is just a glimpse of the healing to come. Because even Peter's mother-in-law, she, she was better, but she wasn't going to stay better forever. She was going to get sick again. Everyone who is healed, whether through the, the words of Jesus here in scripture or through medical means, they, they get sick again. And yet Jesus is saying there's more to come. That in this healing, there is a glimpse of the healing to come. In the Romans 8 passage, we're going to look at the last bit of it, which points to this in verses 22 and 23. It says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. That's anyone who's a believer. We groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. So the connection there is that those of us who know Jesus, we are, we are adopted as sons and daughters. We are part of the family of God. That's our spiritual healing, but also it's tied to the redemption of our bodies. The blessing of God is that we will experience spiritual healing, relational healing, and in the future, physical healing. Ultimate, complete, never-ending spiritual healing. And that every example of miraculous healing in the ministry of Jesus is a signpost saying, hey, that's coming. I'm here to tell you that this life, this world, with its corruption and its disease, it's not all there is. It's not all there was ever supposed to be. And that as you look to me, the one who heals you now, there is a greater healing that comes, but it's rooted in my work on the cross because I bring an answer to sin, an answer to the source of corruption. So, so the main points in this text, I think in every example of healing is that there is something wrong with the natural world and that Jesus has come to make things right. But I think we would still have some questions. There are some questions that come up around healing because here the people prayed and Jesus responded. He healed uh, Simon's mother-in-law. In fact, he healed the whole town. So we're going to move into some questions and also some application around the subject of healing. Look with me though in verse 40. This is the last verse of our text. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Uh, the reason it was near sunset it was because it was the Sabbath. So the, the sun went down, the Sabbath was ended, then everyone came out of their homes, they'd heard about the healing and they brought all of the sick. Just imagine in your town, everyone, the person who has been crippled for, since birth, the person who couldn't see, the person who's been struggling with chronic pain, everyone comes to Jesus and he heals everyone. It's amazing. But look at the next morning. Look at verse 42. And when it was day, Jesus, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. This is no surprise, I think. 
right? Where's Jesus? Where, where'd he go? Oh, he's, he's way off by himself. Let's go get him quick. He might be leaving. They don't want him to leave. Of course, because maybe they have friends in other towns that haven't yet been healed. Maybe they're thinking, hey, what happens if I hurt myself tomorrow? And Jesus is gone, right? They're, they're, they're recognizing that if Jesus isn't there, that then the healing will, it will depart as well. And what this reminds us, something that's obvious, is that though Jesus healed a great many people in his ministry, there were a great many people that he did not heal. There were a great many people walking the streets of, of Israel in that area that he simply did not come into contact with or he did not heal. And so the question is, is why didn't Jesus heal everyone in every town? Why didn't he do what he did here in Capernaum for everyone? And the answer simply is that he had a greater purpose for his coming. He had a greater purpose, a greater purpose than physical healing. His greater purpose was spiritual healing, a better healing. We're going to see next week in in the verses that cap off this section. He says, I have to go and preach the good news. He came to, to tell people who he was and then to go to the cross. He didn't come to set up a medical clinic on the shores of Galilee. Even though the people of Capernaum, hear me, that's what they thought was best. Wouldn't it be best if you met someone who could heal disease and they did it consistently and every time in your town, you would say, well, stay here or let me come with you. I want to be where that kind of healing is. And if they were to go and say, I've got something better to do, you'd be like, wow, how could it be better? What more could you possibly do? And what we see in the ministry of Jesus tied into the source of our corruption is that for him to truly bring healing, he needs to deal with sin. And so his greater purpose in coming was, was not physical healing. It was spiritual healing. We saw that because he didn't stay there. He didn't stay in any one place. He kept moving. And there were many people who he did not heal physically, but, but that's okay. Because he was offering a greater healing for everyone. Now I want to flip it to, to a question that we might ask then today. So if that biblical truth is in our mind, Jesus came, he showed his, his healing power, but that wasn't the purpose he was there. What about today? Can he still heal today? And if he can, why doesn't he? Or why doesn't he consistently? Well, the answer is very simply, he can heal and he does. We know he can heal because if he is God, then he does not change. His power does not diminish. It's not like he's getting old and he's like, I'm not up to it anymore. It's not that, right? He still has the exact same power. We also know that he, he heals because we've seen it. Uh, just a few months ago in, in one of my sermons, I talked about Mike Gare, who's part of our church congregation, who, who was healed from a paralyzing injury in his neck, bone fragments in his neck. He was about to go into surgery and the, the surgeon came out and said that the bone fragments are gone. It was a miracle. Jesus does heal today, but... The question I think we have is, okay, but why doesn't he always heal when we pray? He tells us to pray. Why doesn't that happen? And the answer is the same as it was in Capernaum. Jesus has greater purposes in our life than simply physical healing. Which is difficult to wrap our mind around at the best of times. But is especially difficult if, if we ourselves are struggling with illness. If you have friends or family members that are in hospital right now. But I believe God's word to us is consistent in that day and today. 
in that he always brings us what is ultimately best. And so in my reading, I came across a, a theologian named Michael Wilcock, and uh, he, he makes a couple of distinctions in terms of the purposes of God in healing, that there is a greater purpose than simply alleviating physical suffering. He wants to alleviate spiritual suffering. And so he identifies two different responses, two different purposes that Jesus has, at least two in terms of his response to our prayers for healing. So here's the first. I'll call it option A. Where Jesus' purpose is to be known as healer, he heals immediately. We see that in our text, right? What's his goal there? Well, he wants for people to know that he has the power of healing, right? And so he, he heals the mother-in-law immediately. It's the immediacy of the healing that's astounding, Right? Just like for, for Mike Garrett, the immediacy of the healing, that it was right away done, everyone's like, what's going on? There is power in the immediacy of that healing, and the purpose is for the person who was healed and those around them to connect that to Jesus himself. To say, Jesus is a healer. He is the one who has authority. He is the one who has power. And for then us to have our faith in him. Now, there's a story that I heard. Uh, I was talking with Amy about this this sermon, if you know Amy Burson, she's on staff with us. Amy has done a lot of work in ministering to those in hospital care with those with terminal illness. And she told me one story that I, I thought illustrated this very well. She said she met a man uh, one time. She was asked to go and pray with a, a guy who was uh, recovering in hospital. He had had a brain tumor removed. This was a believing man, a Christian. And his family, they're part of the church, and so asked Amy to go and, and meet with him and visit him. And his prayer was for his legs, they removed the brain tumor, but uh, he was paralyzed from the waist down. And the, the doctor said that more than likely he would remain paralyzed. And his prayer, his request for prayer was, can you please pray that I would be able to walk again? I want to walk. Please pray for this. Everyone was praying. Amy met with him and, and was praying. She met with him on a Thursday. On Sunday when she went there, the man was walking. It was amazing. It was unexplainable. From a medical point of view, they could not understand how he was still walking. They thought, if anything, it would take a much longer time. That was an amazing display of healing. But hear me, that was not the most important and significant aspect of healing in that man's life. Because as Amy began to talk with him, he, he began to unpack his heart more. He said, you know what? I, he said, I realize now I've never really believed that Jesus is who he says he is. He said, all my life, I, I've been living the Christian life, I've been going to church, but I've always had these, these lingering doubts. I've never really thought that Jesus is God and that Jesus can save us. And, and I said, I want to I believe now. I believe he healed my legs. How could I not? And the man came to faith because of the healing in his legs. Do you see, that was the greater healing. That there are many times when Jesus heals immediately, but it's, it's done when he wants to reveal himself as healer, which is why it's very often done on the front lines of ministry. In areas of the world where people don't know who Jesus is, there are signs and wonders, just like in the time of the New Testament, because, because Jesus needs to help them see who he is, that he is the Messiah. He's the one who came. He's the one who comes to sacrifice himself on our behalf, and that he has the power to heal not just our bodies, but our souls. So that is the first condition. That is the first purpose of God in healing, but there's a second and the second is this, where Jesus is already known as healer, his purposes are deeper and greater. And so what Wilcox says is that this is the challenge for those of us who are Christians. We know, we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. 
and we're praying. We know, Jesus, you have the power, but, but there's no healing taking place. How do, we, how do we reconcile that with a loving and gracious God who is not bringing relief to pain and suffering? And so Michael Wilcock, he, he suggests these words that might be a response from Jesus to the believing patient. I'll put them on the screen there and read them. He imagines that Jesus might say this, I could, of course, give you immediate relief, but I would rather take the opportunity to do something more, something more far-reaching, which will be to your greater benefit in the long run. You will find it more protracted and perhaps more painful, and you may not understand what I am doing because I am treating disorders of which you yourself are not are unaware What he's saying there is he's articulating the heart of God for us not just to be healed physically, but us to be healed spiritually and then grow spiritually. That the very best thing for us is for us to come to know Jesus and then grow in our Christ-likeness. This is not just our salvation, but our sanctification. And so you think, what are some of the disorders that he might be looking to to do in us, to change in us? Well, what what about an unhealthy desire for control in your life? What about an impatience in life? What about an inconsistent faith? Or a fear of death? Even though we we say we believe in the one who has conquered death. What about all manner of, of corruption of our heart? Of immaturity in our faith? That Jesus sees in us and we don't even see. And his commitment, because he loves us, is to do whatever is necessary to bring us to the point of fully trusting him. And that means using the circumstances of our life, our, our very illness perhaps, so that we come to the place where we, we trust him fully. Because these disorders, these maladies, are not just physical, they're worse. They're spiritual. They affect our very worship of God. When we trust in ourselves, our own strength, our own wisdom, apart from God, that is something that makes it difficult for us to worship Jesus as Lord. And so because God loves us, because Jesus loves us, he uses the things in our life, even the difficulties, to bring about greater change. That's his love for us. And there's another story that Amy told me that that I think illustrates this well. This time she met with a woman, a woman she knew quite well. This woman was a believer and she'd been given a terminal, uh, terminal prognosis that she didn't have long to live. And as Amy was meeting with her and working with her, she realized there's a lot of anxiety in her heart, which in one sense you can understand, but this was a woman who really knew and believed in Jesus. She knew that she was going to heaven. She believed that in her heart, and yet there was this lingering anxiety. And as Amy began to work with her and meet with her, the woman said, you know, the thing that's really, really troubling me is I have a son who's not a believer. And what just weighs on my heart is that if I die, there will be no one to lead him to Jesus. And, and it just, it troubled her soul immensely, as you can imagine. But what Amy, Amy was able to do was to lead her to, to scripture and to remind her of things she already knew, which is that God is sovereign over everyone's salvation. That, that her son's heart is not actually in her hands. His faith is not in her hands. It's in the hands of God. And that God is loving, God is gracious, and God responds to prayer. And that she was never meant to carry that weight. That's why she'd been anxious for years, even before she was sick. 
And she came to the point of truly trusting Jesus for her son's salvation. She had a peace that she hadn't had for years. Even when she was, she was well, she wasn't that peaceful as she approached death. See, these are the kinds of things that God does because he loves us. That for those of us who know Christ and trust him to a point, Jesus says, the best thing for you is to know me fully, to trust me fully. And I'm going to use everything at my disposal. So sometimes, sometimes he does that through physical healing, like in the life of that gentleman. He came to faith and it was a catalyst for faith. But other times it's through a lack of healing, through trials and difficulty. We see this in the book of James. James 1, 2 to 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfast have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Don't you see, Jesus doesn't want us to lack anything. Any important thing that we need, he is going to do it in our life. He's going to bring it about in our life. He's going to shape us and hone us so that we are full of faith full of joy, full of peace. And sometimes that comes through healing, but sometimes it comes through a lack of healing. So our final question, our final question is this, what then should we do if someone is sick? What what do we do when someone is sick in hospital? I mean, really sick. Well, we should do what the people in Simon's house did. Remember in verse 38, they appealed to Jesus on her behalf. They saw someone who was sick and so they, they did the most natural thing. They, they went to Jesus. And so there are three things that we should do. We should pray. We should seek medical treatment. And we should hope ultimately in Jesus for healing. Why do we pray? Because, because Jesus is the one who has authority over the natural world. We pray right away. If we drive by an accident or if you do this, I see some people that are, that are suffering. The, the paramedics are there. Lord, would you help that person? Jesus, I pray for them. I don't even know them, but I know that you have authority over the whole natural world. So would you keep them alive? Would you keep them alive so they would know you as Savior and Lord? We, we pray that because if there's immediate healing, all glory goes to Jesus, Jesus the healer. We also want to seek medical attention. Why? Because Jesus is the creator of our world. He's given us brains. He's given some people really great brains. They can go to medical school forever. And they can get a degree and they can go to nursing school. They can help us. They can take the, the things in the natural world and make them so that they help us. They bring healing. All glory to Jesus, the creator. Praise God for a medical system. But ultimately, we hope in Jesus for healing because it may be that we wait until heaven. But that is where we will experience the fullest expression of his healing. And all glory will go to Jesus, our savior. And do you see that there is never an option here where the answer is no. That for all believers, the answer is always yes. It's simply a matter of when and how. We can always pray for healing, knowing that that will be the answer. But let us also pray, Jesus, what is it that you're doing in my heart here? God, would you, would you give me a heart to appreciate the value of knowing you more than healing, more than physical healing? And I think maybe that's, that's the main point of application for us is how does it sit in our heart to see that there are times when Jesus has a greater purpose than our physical healing? Does, does that sit well with us? Can we see that it is greater? That's a work that God can do in us to bring us to that point of faith, 
that we would have joy in the midst of our suffering, even physical suffering, with the sure knowledge that Jesus is at work. And so my, my hope and prayer for us this morning is that we, we've seen two things, really. That something is wrong with the natural world, and that Jesus came to make things right, and that he's doing that today, and will keep doing that until he comes because of his great love for us. That he does heal physically, sometimes immediately, sometimes through medical science, and sometimes in heaven, but it will all be for his glory, and it will all be for his good. Praise be to Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for this word. Thank you, Jesus, for your healing power. Jesus, that in that town in Capernaum, God, you revealed yourself as healer, and you have continued to do that to this very day. Jesus, I pray for those who are struggling with illness and sickness. Jesus, it is such a difficult road to walk. And God, I pray, I pray, Jesus, that you would comfort them in the midst of that. I pray for anyone here who is struggling with chronic pain or or illness. Jesus, would you bring them comfort? Would you bring them strength? And Jesus, would you help all of us to understand that, that you love us dearly and you will always bring the very best thing that we need whether it's immediate physical healing, which is within your power, or a greater healing of our heart and our soul. Jesus, help us to to see that, that that is your love for us and help us to endure through the trials. And Jesus, I pray that in all things, we will genuinely say to you be the glory. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.